Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Denefsky, and today I spoke with Michael Tudor, the chief executive of Pump Aid. Pump Aid works primarily in Malawi, and its goal is to achieve long-lasting positive change in poor and disadvantaged communities there by implementing water, sanitation, and hygiene programs. As you'll hear, over the last 20 years, over 10,000 communities and 1.9 million people have been given access to safe, clean water thanks to Pump Aid's life-changing programs. So I think you'll enjoy hearing about the amazing impact that Pump Aid is having in Malawi. Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Denefsky, and today I'm speaking with Michael Tudor, the Chief Executive of Pump Aid. Michael, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really pleasure. Real pleasure. So to start, can you tell us about yourself, your background, and how you came to Pump Aid? Well, um, for people who can't see me, I'm very old. I'm 73 next birthday. And uh, I spent most of my life working in the consumer sector. I've worked for Gillette, I've worked for Hertz, and I've worked for a number of European retailers. And I was genuinely planning my retirement uh, when an offer came up to join Pump Aid back in 2014. And I saw a genuine opportunity to use my commercial experience for social good. Um, and, and I saw in Pump Aid an organization where I genuinely thought they were doing things differently in a way that I thought was much more sustainable, much more relatable, much more effective than a number of, of much, much larger charities. And so I wanted to be part of it. Can you just tell us also what Pump Aid's mission is? Um, well, if I do the, the boring bit, um, in on the website, it'll tell you that our mission is to achieve lasting positive change in poor and disadvantaged communities by improving the quality, availability and and use of water and sanitation, I think. But that's terribly dry and, frankly, doesn't really tell you what we do. Um, because certainly since I've been running Pump Aid, we have just one objective, and that's to transform the lives of disadvantaged people so they reach a point of resilience and self-reliance so that they don't need the support of us or indeed anywhere else. So much aid creates dependency when what it should do is create independence. And, and that's been that's Pompey's absolute mantra. We want people not to need us. In fact, in an ideal world, I put Pompey out of business. Yeah. And obviously, we'll get more into some of the specifics. But I'm just curious, what do you think really differentiates, you know, between creating dependence and helping support communities be independent themselves? I, I think the water sector, and I don't want to knock the water sector because the water sector has done tremendous things over the last 30 years. But back in, in, in at the millennium or back in 2018, when we actually signed up to the millennium, 2000, sorry, 1998, when we signed up to the millennium development goals, the idea was to halve uh, those people in water poverty by 2015 and eliminated entirely by 2030. And, and we did phenomenally well because we reduced the number of people in water poverty by half by 2012, three years earlier than we said we would. 
in the last 10 years, it's been an absolute uphill struggle. Mm. And the the numbers of people are stubbornly, stubbornly the same. And, and the driver for that, I think, is because the Millennium Development Goals were all about increasing access. And so quite rightly, we went for all the low hanging fruit. We went for all the easy to reach communities, the really big conurbations, the, the, the urban slums where you could shove in pipe water and make a huge difference. The problem now is we're talking about dispersed communities. We're talking about remote communities. We're talking about rural communities and they are the hardest to reach and the least likely to be served by big interventions. And so what Pumpate has done and, and is doing is we focus almost exclusively on those marginalized communities. Um, if, if you're going to put a, a water pump in Africa, you need somewhere between 300 and 450 people to use it to make it cost effective because it can cost anywhere between six to nine thousand dollars put a water pump in, depending on how deep you have to go and how rough the terrain is. But in, in Malawi, where we work, 83% of the population live in communities of less than 100 people. They're never, they're never going to make that big water pump cost effective. And so what Pumpate tries to do is to use small interventions. Our, our, our household pump operates best for no more than 30, 35 people. So it's a very, very small intervention, which in terms of the big numbers that the other uh, the other organizations like to boast about is not impressive because I can't boast about big numbers. But what I can say is we're taking water to people who wouldn't otherwise get it any other way. And that's what makes us different. I know you have a lot of different programs and Pump Aid focuses on work, its work in several areas, including preschool health, helping create a network of water entrepreneurs and helping rural communities meet their water needs. So can you discuss some of the programs? We've got three primary programs, but they all they're all based around the same technology, if you like. They're all based on the same approach, which is empowering local people. So we have, as I say, um, a, a, an individual and small community uh, water pump, um, one that works for households, up to about seven households, so no more than 30 to 35 people, works on rope and washer technology. Um, but that does has two things. That both gives access to water to people who might otherwise have to walk miles, literally, miles to, to find uh, a, a working community pump um, and also um, it's 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 pump design is such that they're able to maintain it themselves so they're, they're relieving pressure from the other community pumps we have a, a, a even more basic version of that which uh, we use for irrigation purposes doesn't produce water that's good enough to drink but does produce water satisfactory irrigation only 11% of farmers in Malawi use irrigation. Uh, irrigation, because irrigation is complicated, it's expensive, um, uh, people struggle to find the, the most common form of irrigation in Malawi is the treadle pump, uh, that pump you stand on and you go up and down. I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to use one or even if anyone has used one. But if you ever do meet anybody who might use a treadle pump, just look at their shins. Because anyone that uses a treadle pump has got grazes on the inside of their legs. 
uh, because when you're doing this, if this foot falls off the treadle pump, this bit of the treadle pump shoots upwards and takes a whole chunk out of your leg. Um, we have a, a very simple version of our rope and washer pump that you don't have to stand on that farmers prefer. And with irrigation, you can improve the productivity of your farm, sometimes fourfold. And so we have two pump offers, if you like, a domestic pump offer that stops people having to go to distant community wells, and an irrigation pump offer that helps farmers increase their productivity. That's one program. We have a, another program, which is all about improving the functionality of these community water points that are dreadful. And we do that by training up entrepreneurs, uh, people who are good at mechanics. Um, the, the principal form of transport in Malawi is the bicycle. And so there are bicycle mechanics everywhere. And there's a big similarity between bicycles and water pumps. You know, they've both got moving parts. They go up and down. And so we train people in how to mend broken water pumps and more importantly, how to service them so that they don't break in the future. Because very, very often a pump starts going wrong with something really simple. At the top of every piston pump, there's a really narrow, uh, I can't remember what they call it now, it doesn't matter, they call it something, and, it, and the rod goes up and down in it. And, and if your uh, well is 30 meters deep, it's really important that that rod goes down vertically. This little thing at the top wears out. And as it wears out, now you're not going down vertically anymore. And eventually you'll go down so non-vertically, it'll jam. And when it jams, you have to replace the entire pump. And that could be thousands of dollars. This little washer at the top costs 25 cents. If you replace that before it wears too much, you can stop the rest of the pump seizing up. And so we train people uh, to do these repairs, and then we encourage them to set up businesses selling their services. Because one of the things I said right at the start, I want to put pump aid out of business. So I don't want people to be dependent on aid. So these are people who run businesses selling pump repair and pump maintenance services. And uh, we, we train them in how to do it. We train them in business skills. Uh, we give them help with referrals to potential customers. But ultimately, we want to stand away and say, it's your business now. You're running your business. And what we've discovered is in areas where we have our engineers they can get community pump functionality up from the low 50s to the high 90s because there's a, there's a transaction here. There's money. They know if they do a good job, they'll be called back again. The community knows if they're paying someone to do something and they don't do a good job, they can ask for their money back. And so instead of people working on the dependency, the charity, the beneficiary model, this is now a commercial transaction. I'm providing a service. You're paying for it. You're not a beneficiary anymore. You're a customer. And customers are entitled to complain. And so you create this, this virtuous circle where the community gets improved access to water. The pump mechanic makes a living. 
And if the pump mechanic wants to make an even better living, he better maintain more pumps. And, and, and so this is, this is part of this process of giving people the tools to, to help themselves. And then the third program, which is a purely charitable one, is the Our Early Childhood program. Because one of the things we found when we were right at the start, starting our initial pump program, was Malawi has got nine and a half thousand. Uh, they call them um, community-based childcare centres, but they're nurseries for the under five. And there's about nine and a half thousand of them. Less than 75% of them have access to safe water or hygienic latrines. I don't know how many under fives you know. I have a number of under five grandchildren. They go to the toilet all the time. And 75% of these nurseries don't have a toilet. As a result, they are a breeding ground for waterborne diseases. And as a result of that, parents are reluctant to send their children to them. What we do is we install uh, a community water point. Uh, most of these nurseries only operate in the mornings because in the afternoons it's very hot and most small children sleep in the afternoons. Uh, and so the community can use the water point in the afternoon. So it's not just for the nursery, it's the community as well. We also do hygiene and sanitation training. We install uh, hand washing stations at convenient points around the nursery. Uh, so when coming out of the trains, when going into the dining room, when going into the classroom, there are hand washing stations. And, and we know from experience that if you get children into the habit of washing their hands when they're under five, they'll carry on washing their hands when they're over five. It becomes habitual. Yeah. And those three programs together, the one, helping those small communities that won't get help from, from larger interventions because they're too small, helping those communities with broken community pumps to both repair them and keep them repaired, and working with the under fives, which is the starting point for all uh, economic growth, we think is the way we, as a whole, build that resilience to the rural population in Malawi so that they reach that point of self-reliance and they won't need us anymore. And I know that there's two projects that in the past couple of years and more recently you guys have been working on the Dawa project and Beyond Water which was established in 2018 so can you just talk a little bit more in depth about yeah. these specific and, 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 and they are there and they are out the exemplars I think that's where we're doing it best. Um, as I said earlier about focusing on Malawi we want to focus where we think we can have greatest impact and so uh, in, inside Malawi, we've tended to work solely in one district. So we started in Mchinji, then we went to Katungu, uh, then we went to Bangochi. Doha is our fourth district. And each time we go into a new district, we take the learning from the previous districts. So in Doha, uh, we've been able to have, uh, our, I think, our greatest impact because we've learned from what we've done in the previous districts. And also we've been able to grow fastest. We've only been in Doha since April 21, but already we're reaching more people in Doha than some of our other districts, because we now have a really clear idea of what works and what doesn't work. So Doha is the one that we take all our funders to, because that's the one where we're most proud. It's also the one where we've done something unique. Um, and it's something that I want to roll out everywhere we do. 
in Malawi, there is a, not a rivalry, but there is a slight uh, tension between the way the charities that work in Malawi and the government in Malawi. And, uh, and that has caused tensions because charities have got the money, uh, government have the democratic accountability, but frankly, democratic accountability without money <laughs> is used. Uh, and, and so th- th- there are uh, uh, some, uh, there are a number of occasions where uh, some NGOs have operated in ways that the government necessarily wouldn't want them to operate, but the government's not part of that process. What we've done in, in Doha is because we went into Doha, having already now got a working model, this is a model we've perfected in three other districts. We now know how to do it. We went to the district water office and said, we'd like you to be the custodians of quality control and customer satisfaction. We want to sign a license with you. So these community water points we're going to maintain, you tell us which ones they are. We'll sign an agreement with you. And we will only get paid if we get 93% functionality. And if we don't get 93% functionality, don't pay us. That's the deal. And so we brought in the District Water Authority. With instead, so instead of fighting them, they're now part of our process. And what's that done is that's created a regulatory framework where communities are much happier now contracting with our entrepreneurs, with our pump mechanics. There are in Malawi, sure, in every other country in the world, people who take money and don't necessarily do what you've given the money for. There are lots of people who promise but don't deliver. Uh, and w- within DOA, because we have this licensing agreement, we are able to say to the communities, you sign a contract with this engineer and he will maintain your pump. If he doesn't maintain your pump properly, don't complain to him. Complain to the district water office. Because the district water office will then complain to us and they'll say, you signed this agreement. You said these 200 pumps would work. This one isn't working. We will then go to the pump mechanic and either get that pump mechanic to work properly, or if he isn't working properly, we will replace him with another pump mechanic that will. And so we've created this cycle now where before DOA, it was purely transactional. The community gave to the pump mechanic, the pump mechanic provided the service. That was fabulous when it worked. But you'll know it, it anything. You know, Amazon doesn't deliver everything it says Amazon is going to deliver. It, things always fall down. And the issue for the communities was, what do we do when we've paid the money and we don't get the service? In Doha, we've now completed that circle. Because by bringing in the DWO, the community now has a right of redress. If you're not getting the service you expect, you now have someone to complain to. And, and that's now, I think, our complete model. And that's the one I want to take to other districts in Malawi and you know, hopefully in time to other countries in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Because it's the for me, that's that's the whole, that that's the that that's the the, 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 the thing that makes it work. It is not some charity based in London coming into Malawi and telling people what they need 
No, this is communities saying what they want. And if they don't get what they want, giving them a right of redress so that they can sort it out. Definitely. For me, Doha, it is, it's, it's our, our, our latest district, but it's the one where everything has come together. I know you already talked a lot about this, but I'd love to just hear some information about the overall impact that Pump Aid has had since its founding. I mean, I think for a charity of our size, it's, I mean, our income is about a million uh, pounds a year. You know, golly, I mean, Charity Water, what, $100 million? I can't remember. It's <laughs> big, huge. Uh, so our impact is in, 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 in big number terms. Is quite small. Now, I mean, not insignificant. I mean, since we started in 1998, we keep a rough tally, and we think we're now up to about two million people who now have access to water thanks to us. But the significance is, it's not just any old two million people, because we work with those small, remote, hard to reach with. It is two million people who, if we hadn't given them access to water, wouldn't have it they wouldn't have got it from anybody else and the consequence of those two million people having access to water it's incalculable you know, we know by reducing the distance people have to walk to fetch water more water is used for hygiene purposes the uh, unicef did a study back in 2013 on uses of water and distance traveled and if water was more than five minutes away from where you were, you would stop washing your hands. And frankly, if water was five minutes away from my toilet, I might stop washing my hands. I mean, that's not an illogical statement. So we know bringing water closer to where people are increases its use for hygiene purposes. We also know that reducing the time people spend to walk to water means they can do more productive things. You, you can generate income, you can grow more crops, you can go to, yeah, well, it's as you, you, you probably know, it's certainly in sub-Saharan Africa, fetching water is mostly a female occupation. Uh, in Malawi, 50% of girls don't finish primary school. The 50% that do go to secondary school of them 95% don't finish secondary school. 5% of Malawi's children end up in university or college. And university the girls end up in university. And, and it's, that's the point. It, how many doctors, dentists, water engineers is Malawi being denied? Because it's girls don't get to go to college. By giving 2 million people access to water closer to home, we know more girls will have stayed at school. We know more girls will have gone to college. And, and their contribution to Malawi is incalculable. So all I can tell you is we brought water to two million people. The impact of that is all those knock-on. You know, we know that by putting water in nursery schools, we will have reduced waterborne diseases. We will have reduced childhood deaths. Um, Malawi... Um, I can't where they are. There's uh, four. Malawi uh, is really high. I think there are 180 something out of the 204 countries on the uh, UN's infant mortality index. You know, infant mortality in Malawi is phenomenal. But we know that by putting clean water in those nurseries, 
we've stopped children dying. I can't tell you how many. I, I certainly can't introduce you to any of them, but I know there are. And it's and it's that whole that that's that whole process of helping people help themselves to give people the opportunity to work themselves out of a dependency. That those two million people we brought water to now have that had we not done it, they wouldn't have. Yeah, I know. So many different implications, I feel like, you know, in all different fields and sectors, it's incredible. And so I just love to hear, you know, as we're sort of approaching the end, do you have any specific personal experiences that you can discuss about the positive impact of pump aid? I'll condense them. Um, I, I, I did list about a dozen, but I'll, I'll just do three. I mean, I spend, a, a, whenever I go out to Malawi, I do the boring stuff. I have to meet the Ministry of Water and Civil Servants. But I also insist on going out in the field because it, people in the field, where you see them in new time. I mean, I met two well diggers at Chadwick and Limbikani. They met on one of our courses. And instead of working independently, they're now working in partnership. And as a result of working in partnership, they're making more money collectively than they ever did alone. Um, We've got Maria, uh, one of our engineers, who was a community midwife. And she realized that the big problem being a community midwife is I'm washing newborn babies in dirty water. And she realized she could save more babies if she became a pump mechanic than she could as a midwife. And, 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 and I've got Selena, another uh, 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 pump mechanics, who's using the money she's raising to send her teenage girls to school. And she says they're growing up in a household where a woman is running a business. And so she, she wants them to follow their example. You don't have to be a housewife. You don't have to be subservient. Life isn't just a future of fetching and carrying water. You can run a business. And so we're changing individuals' lives, but we're changing generational futures. Yeah, amazing. And But I guess my next question is obviously, how can those who want to help us do so? It's three things. The first, first and foremost, is we want everybody to be, uh, to be critical, to be challenging. We want people to seek out charities that, like us, help people to help themselves. Not all charities are effective. Not all charitable money is spent wisely. So above and beyond all else, we want potential donors to ask questions. We want them to seek out sustainable interventions. And we want them to support organisations that want to end dependency rather than perpetuate it. And, and obviously, I'd like them to see me as a potential. So, but more than that, it's we're only going to change the future for those remote, poor, disadvantaged, left behind communities if the whole sector does what we do, which is to look at how do you reach those remote and hard to reach people. And so more than anything else, we want people who give money to water charities to be challenging, to be questioning, to be critical. Clearly, I'd like people to give money to us. 
But more than that, actually, I'd like to get exposure. As I said right at the start, we're a really small charity. I haven't got the communications budget of Charity Water, Water.org and others. And, and the best possible way that will eliminate water poverty is if all charities work together, work collaboratively and do what they know works best. So I'd like people to, to more people to know what, what we do. I'd like more organisations to follow what we do. And so, you know, I'd like people to follow us on social media, talk about us to our, on their friends. You know, our website, www.pumpaid.org, has shed loads of information about the way we are doing things differently. And I would really like more people to know that that's what we do. And then lastly, you realise that if you do want to give money, because we work with really small communities, Small amounts of money actually can have big impacts. Yeah, just $5 will pay for a preventative maintenance check on a community water pipe. That, that's all it will cost to send someone to a community point and perhaps replace that little screw at the top, which causes all the trouble. For $5, you could save that community $1,000 in repairs when their pump goes seriously wrong. $50 would provide a farmer with a year's worth of irrigation. So he could irrigate for an entire year. And we know that if farmers irrigate both in the wet and the dry season, they can increase their productivity fourfold. And if you wanted to be really generous, $500 would provide up to 300 people with a year's worth of clean, safe water. And if you are motivated to give us money, the good news is we know how to double it because every year we participate in the Big Give Christmas campaign. And it, it's, all, it's a, an international organization that operates around, it starts on Giving Tuesday, which I think is quite big in America. And it runs for eight days after Giving Tuesday. And any money that is given to any charity on the Big Give website during those eight days is doubled because the Big Give themselves have charity champions and sponsors and pledges. And so any money that's given to us during Big Give Week through the Big Give website will be doubled. So the opportunity to do good and not just do good in a generic sense, but to do good for communities for whom being done, or oh, I was going to say being done good to, which is <laughs> Perhaps you can just rearrange that in the end. So just key into any search engine, any search engine, Big Give 2022, and there's an opportunity there to donate to Pump Aid. And if you donate between Giving Tuesday and I think it's December the 4th, can't remember the precise date, it'll be on the website. Any money you give is going to be doubled by people you don't know, but will benefit people who you don't know either. But trust me, they'll be really grateful. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And I think really anyone should want to donate to this. It seems like an obvious decision. So thank you. Thank you for your time, Brooke. This has been a, this has been a genuine pleasure.